Thank you for clicking on Pulse of the Fan. I'm Tim Donnelly. I'm the host of Pulse of the Fan. I run PulseofTheFan.com, and I want to encourage everyone right now to head to audibletrial.com slash pulse. It is a sweet deal that we've set up with audible.com, the largest online audiobook library on the planet. What they do is everyone that goes to audibletrial.com slash pulse, P-U-L-S-E, gets a free month and also a free audiobook download. If you're tuned into this one, we're going to be talking New York Jets. You're going to be hearing this name a few times. And there's a biography on audible.com, which again, you can get through get to through audibletrial.com slash pulse. It's called Nameth a biography. It's simple and it's hard hitting about Broadway. Joe gives you everything from the parties to the play on the field. You want to check it out. You also want to check out this podcast. We're talking to Paul Lagan, a diehard Jets fan about everything New York Jets football. Let's jump into the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Once again, we are back here on Pulse of the Fan, and today we are talking New York Jets. We have Paul Lagan, a a diehard Jets fan here. Paul, how's it going? It's going well. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm excited for this one uh, because let, let's just be honest. The Jets have a they provide a lot of uh, fodder for for media people to talk about, which means we're going to get to uh, cut through all of that fodder and talk to a real fan. So I'm really excited about it. We we would prefer if you called it upside. Okay. Upside. <laughs> I like it. Uh, before before we get to the upside, uh, let's first give everyone your fan resume. Uh, how long have you been a Jets fan? Why the Jets? And maybe a few of your favorite players. Oh boy! I, I mean, I could go crazy here. <laughs> I was I was essentially born into a New York Jet household. Uh, my first name is is Paul Joseph, kind of like a Billy Bob thing, okay. um, because my dad wanted to name me after Joe Namath, and my mother wasn't totally sold. So they settled <laughs> on uh, just Joseph being in the first name. Uh, so I've been a Jet fan you know, since I could walk. Uh, earliest memories go back to, you know, even before you were on, I think, Jim, they go back to, like, uh, uh, Alcoa Fantastic Finishes, watching NBC games with uh, Don Crickey doing play-by-play and Marv Albert uh, back NBC in New York. Um, I had nightmares of A.J. Dewey, uh, bad fourth-down penalties, you know, by Mark Gastineau. Her 80s were just a nightmare trying to almost get there and never have it happen. So that's uh, it's been a long time for me. Um, and I guess my favorite players are, are, are segmented into the into the decades. I, w- I was a big uh, I was a big Kenny O'Brien guy for a long time. Uh, who's I guess you know now he's one of the preeminent uh, quarterback coaches in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, well, actually maybe privately a uh, quarterback coach, but. Um, I was a big Kenny O'Brien guy and a big Al Toon guy in the 80s. Um, and defensively, you know, I, I love the, uh, the guy named Lance Mel. who kind of owned the, the, the linebacker position for the Jets for about a decade. Um, and then I was a big defensive back guy, too. They had an early, uh, early quarterback safety tandem, um, James Hasty and Eric McMillan in the 80s, who I just absolutely loved. Uh, Hasty was a good cover guy, but he loved to tackle, so that was kind of cool. Uh, 90s, you know, everybody became a Wayne Corbett fan in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, the late 90s there. I was a big, big Wayne Corbett guy. Um, and then, uh, you know, I guess it, even if you jump to recently now, it's been trying to find the identity for, for who you love after Del, after Revis is, is gone now. 
uh, you know, everybody loves the South defensive line now. That's kind of the, the way I see it. I'm, I, I love Leonard Williams, and I think that that's uh, watching him hopefully for another 10 years is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so, so you have you have the history of the Jets, and I think that's one of the cool things that the Jets bring to the table is uh, the Joe Namaths and, and, and the Ken O'Briens. Like, it goes all the way back. How do you think today's team is kind of honoring, uh, you know, you say upside to start this off, but right now uh, I have to think that a lot of Jets fans know that they have all of this history and the past couple of years here haven't quite lived up to their, their expectations. I think that it's hard for a Jet fan because they're, you know, being a New Yorker and, and sharing the stadium, there's a little bit of an inferiority complex. And, you know, for, for a stretch there from, you know, from I guess really even 82 up until uh, 2007 or so, each, each the Jets and the Giants had been the five conference championship games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they each had similar uh, playoff record success-wise. The Jets just always lost the conference championship game, and the Giants always won it. <laughs> and you were always comparing yourself in the same city to that franchise. So it was hard to kind of honor the legacy and have the legacy, you know, mean something. And and I know we're, we're talking about fan, uh, you know, a football fan podcast here, but you're also talking about New York. And when you talk legacy, everything you do is in the shadow of the Yankees. So it's hard for the Jets to kind of. To, to keep that legacy established and, and keep feeling like it's legitimate in your legacy. But, um, you know, it, it has been for the last, you know, 35 years that I can remember being a, friend, a fan. It's been fun to watch. They, they, they're exciting. Uh, they just never seem to get over the hump. Is that kind of where the Jets get that us-against-the-world mentality? I feel like the Jets um, kind of – barricade themselves in like you're, you're a Jets fan you're with us or you're against us is part of that just being in New York City and seeing the Giants win a couple in the past 10 years having the Yankees always in the hunt and uh, maybe the Nets taking up headlines even though they're not winning games I think that's exactly it um, and you know it's it's also kind of being being uh, your bond having your bond strengthened by the by the misery at times you know we used to we used to talk in the stands about uh, the difference between Jets fans and Red Sox fans because Red Sox fans always seem to have a way of, like, you know, can't, you know anticipating a collapse or assuming yeah. the pol- a collapse was coming. Jets fans knew it was coming. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't <laughs> even – there was no speculation. We, we would sit there in the stands and we would talk about how it was going to happen. And we, that, was, that, that misery kind of created a bond. When you're leaving the Meadowlands uh, in, in, on a December afternoon at 7:30, uh, with a three-hour drive ahead of you, when you you just lost a must-win game to a six-and-eight Chiefs team, 13 to 10, because you just couldn't get it going, and and wasted five opportunities in a row, that just you you commiserate in that misery. So it's uh, I think that's where it comes from. And, and I think that's a lot of ways the Jets' legacy is that they're, the, you know, they're a team that's never bad enough. Well, you take the Rich Cosite years out, but never really bad enough to be a, a total laughing stock. But never really there where you're, you, you feel genuinely like it, it's them this year. That that's the front runner. Is there some pride there in that? Like, if you're still a Jets fan at this point, then you are a diehard. 
Like there, there's some we, we've had other fans of other teams that have gone through tough times on the podcast. And they say, you know, during the, the, the dark ages is when you find out who the true fans are. Is there some kind of pride knowing that, you know, if you're a Jets fan, you're definitely not a bandwagoner. You're in there for the long haul. I think so. I, I really think so. I mean, I, the Jet fans will talk about Patriot fans in that way. You know, they'll <laughs> talk about, um, they'll, they'll ask a Patriot fan whether or not he knows the difference between a Tippet and a Lepet. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll ask them, uh, you know, if, if they remember, you know, who started their, who basically started their run in Mo Lewis <laughs> uh, when he knocked out Drew Bledsoe. They'll, you know, they'll 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 give them a little bit of a uh, ribbing as far as that goes, but it's hard to because you know obviously scoreboard is the mm-hmm. ultimate equalizer. Um, but I think there is definitely a bond that you you've been through it and you've seen it, you know. And there's the good times that you remember seeing. Jet fans that will talk about whether they were there. Um, you know, they'll they'll talk about the the battles that Marino and, and O'Brien used to have. And, and, and Jet fans know the stories and know that you know, although he was picked ahead of Marino, that mm-hmm. he did, you know, if you look at the statistics, he did outplay him in their, in their 15 or 16 head-to-head matchups. Um, so, you know, they, they have pride in Kenny and, and, and what he did against the Dolphins. They remember the 51-45 game, which I was at, by the way, um, the shootouts that they had. Uh, they remember the miracle against the Dolphins when they came back from uh, – I think it was actually a 30-point deficit in one on a Monday night against the Dolphins. Um, you know, that was uh, – was that that game too? I have, to, they, I have to call you out a little bit here. Um, yeah. Is it, is it just, just a fan kind of rose-colored or green-colored glasses when you're comparing <laughs> Ken O'Brien to Dan Marino and going like, he outplayed him. I mean, it's, it's Dan Marino. He was in your division. I get he's a rival. But is there a little bit of you kind of – Overemphasizing what O'Brien was able to do. There's a little bit of that, you know. I mean, I, I guess I got if, if you know if this is candid podcast time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he's always looking for the, the green colored glasses. <laughs> but um, he did. He, there was it was you know they, they played basically a season against each other, 16 games, but yeah. there were 50 or 16 games, and he 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 out statistic him okay. and he out won him. Um, so you had you had that. Uh, did he also, you know, probably ruin Altoon's head by, <laughs> you know, by leaving him out to dry a bunch of times? I think probably. Uh, you being an ex-quarterback know a little bit about that. So yeah. Hopefully you didn't do it too much. Well, I guess we have to call, uh, you know, some, some of your boys. <laughs> like, uh, we'll call the tower and ask him. But, uh, there's, um... Well, let's stay and on the I'm, Yeah, I'm going into a little bit of personal stuff there. But, yeah, there's a pride in that, and there's a, there's a green-colored look to it. But let's stay in the division then. So so we know, we know your opinion, opinions on the Dolphins, and I think that the Jets over the last 20 years have probably been pretty pretty equal with the Dolphins, but there's been, there's been a bully on the block in the division. Since 2003, the Pats have won every division, or the division every year uh, except for once. What do the Jets have to do to knock off the Pats and maybe, you know, push around the bully on the block uh, in, in, inside that, that Eastern Division? I think if I was able to give you that answer, um, <laughs> I, I, I probably would have a job in the league. That's probably but, true. Uh, but, um, you know, I, the, the thing is, Tim, is that they're the benchmark, and I think mm-hmm. 
from I think as you look at the 2017 Jets and 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 you look at what's what's different um, as they've evolved now out of the Rex Ryan years and and the, the 2008 2009 incarnation when they were close is I think they're now starting to realize that you have to you have to draft and you have to build your team around what the Patriots can do well and beat them out of that. So it's, it's linebackers now that, that have the speed to tackle in space and, 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 and be competitive against the big tight end game, which they have not had. Um, you know, Harris was getting a little old there for a while. He was coming again out of the, 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 the late 2000 or, or first part of the decade, uh, 2008, 2009 Jets were – you were going with a bigger, bulkier linebacker, scout against the run, but was susceptible to that underneath stuff, and they lost some games because of that. Uh, so I think that that's the way they're going in the right direction. Um, and developing an offensive defensive line that can that can get in Tom Brady's face and, and, and make him a little bit uncomfortable. I, I think that's your only chance. If, if you can bang him around a little bit, you got a shot, and, and that's that's the way the direction it seems to see that that they're going. Um, drafting a big safety who has that speed, has that ability to tackle, seems to like it, and maybe is a guy who can eventually quarterback a defense with a little bit of the the football IQ and academic background that it takes to look across the line at him and play a little bit of a chess match with him. Another thing that they haven't had that hopefully you're starting to see them look for that type of player. I've read a few theories recently on the NBA, specifically the Eastern Conference, saying that if you are a team that doesn't have LeBron in the Eastern Conference, you should already be planning for five years from now and, and just wait until LeBron retires and then have all your assets and all your young guys getting older as soon as LeBron retires to finally make your chase. Is there some part of you that is saying, let's get all of our ducks in a row right now and as soon as Brady's gone... Let's let's pounce on that that vacancy at the top because you know if anything the last ten years has proven it's that Belichick and Brady are going to win that division. I think that's a, I mean that's really astute and 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 keen there. Um, I, I think you do that. I think that the only problem with that is the internal struggle you have on your staff mm-hmm. because I don't think the, the the league now lends itself to three and five year plans as much as they used to. True. I think it's, it's it's two and three years and you're out. So you want to have a, a, an organizational philosophy that way, but does your GM and does your head coach get to watch that come to fruition? Um, I think that's where, you, where you're up against. And, I mean, I, I think that there was a couple things they could have done this year that may have pointed more towards, you know, we're going to be competitive now only, but competitive now – with the chance that we have upside three and five years down the road. The did you, did you want them to go more competitive this year? Did you want them to make those moves? Or are you thinking that Todd Bowles is the guy and he has job security and he can afford to wait and, and, and you know, not come in with a quarterback, which I think they're, they're obviously doing this year. I think they could do both, but I think what they could have done is, and I think you just kind of, you, you, you missed the iceberg there is they could have went, a little bit different at quarterback this year to make them to make them uh, able to make a run this year, mm-hmm. but also with an eye to the future. 
And, you know, my guy that got away, which I'm, I'm sure you probably know, that is my thought, you know, my my guy that got away was Mike Glennon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really thought that we were eyeing him for a couple of years, and I thought his big arm and his size in the Meadowlands was very Eli Manning prototypical. Mm -hmm. I thought there was a lot of similarities there. Uh, also a student of the game that, that grew up in a quarterback family. I just saw a, 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 a synergy there that, that seemed great. And to watch them actually go with uh, McCown, who's, who's essentially was a little bit of un the undoing there in Tampa for, mm -hmm. for, for Mike, that's a, that's a tough thing to watch happen because you can see that what they're going to preach now offensively essentially is going to be a base analytic theory where if we – Turn the ball over less than our team than, than our opponent. We're going to have a chance to win, and so, so that's think, all well and good. Do you think McCown is the guy? Do you think he is obviously over Hackenberg and Petty going into this season? I, I think he will be um, because I think there's too much inexperience everywhere else. I mean, you've got except for your running back core, which is pretty which is pretty solid, but mm -hmm. solid in the sense that again, solid philosophically where you're not going to put the ball on the turf, which is I I, I think their biggest asset right now, mm -hmm. but you got a lot of young receivers. Um, you got a lot of guys that are, that are fight to make the team um, in, in, in the receiving core. Uh, and you don't, you don't have a guy in the younger guys like Petty or, 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 or Christian who can make that, make that development jump quick enough. I don't think anyway, jump quick enough to bring them along quickly. Uh, there's just not the weapons there. And that would have you know, maybe hurt Mike Glennon too. Is he coming to a situation where there's not a lot of weapons? But um, in his in his position, I don't think he's in a better one now um, in Chicago with their weapons. But that's a whole other conversation. So, uh, so, so I just think is, is there no, no part of you that just wants done, to see what you have with Hack and with Petty? I, like to me, if you look at this season for the Jets, um, and maybe you'll disagree with this, I don't think expectations are terribly high. Wouldn't this be the They're chance? Not, no. Wouldn't this be the chance to find out, you know, what you have? I think McCown is a known quantity. I think Hackenberg and Petty are more question marks. I think so. I mean, I, I think that they I, I hope that that is the direction they will go. I, I just when you hear them, when you hear John Morton, the offensive coordinator, um, when you hear the new quarterback coach, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, player, the USC guy, I'm losing his name right now, but when you hear them speak, they're speaking solely in terms of, of possession, of move the chains and don't turn the ball over. They're not talking about any type of explosiveness, which you're going you're gonna to need mm -hmm. when you're talking about trying to beat the Patriots. And if you don't, if, if you don't think you have a, 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 a horse that you have to bridle now, you know, and pull back, mm -hmm. Like you know, like a Jameis Winston, you're not talking about you're not talking about him. You're talking about him in the inverse. You're talking about him. You're reining him in to keep ball control as, as an issue. Yeah. Uh, but you're not fearing that he doesn't have the opportunity to stretch the field or to get out there and run or to make big plays. You know he's got that. Yeah. With the Jets quarterback situation, you're talking about the reverse of that, where they're already resigned to the fact that it's not there, and they're just trying to to, to kind of hold serve when they have the ball um mixing so, my metaphors there but they're trying to hold serve mm -hmm. and that's i think that's a tough way to always be looking at a young team so is there is there a part of you 
Uh, looking at, at the Jets' schedule this year, you play the Bills, Dolphins, Jags, and Browns in the first five games. So I think for the first five games, we'll tell you where you are. I don't think you're on the Raiders level yet, but Bills, Dolphins, Jags, Browns, that's a barometer of kind of uh, a, a cross-cut of the league. If the Jets don't win a few of them and stay close in the others, are you even rooting for your team to win? Or are you searching up Sam Darnold and, and Josh Allen highlights on on YouTube and thinking of who your quarterback's going to be the next year because he's somewhere in college? Uh, you play and win the game. Okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, no, no, I just, it's, hard to, it's hard to root against the winning you mm-hmm. you you can you can rationalize it and say it's better if we don't, which I'm I'm a hundred percent you know in that you know understanding of that camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but each individual game, you you do go for the win. I think though the first part of the schedule, you're right on the ball as a Jet fan, in, in my opinion, with it's a barometer of, of how well they're going to go. I think, and again, I use the word inverse again when we talk about the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Inverse of last year's schedule, when you kind of felt like if they could get through the first six games, mm-hmm. you had a chance. If they could get through the first six games without, you know, going 0 6, without killing themselves, you felt like you had a shot. Mm-hmm. Now I think you feel good about three out of the first five, and, and, and yeah, you feel like you got a fighting chance, and it becomes a, you know, a, a, a run to nine or ten games. That's really it. Once you. Marcel's talk about breaking it down into four quarters, you know, and if, if, if I can get, if I can get two every quarter and, and, and pop a third every, every, you know, once or twice a year, I'm in good shape. So, and I think when you're looking at a five game stretch, if you can get three out of that first five, you're in free shape. We're going to take a quick break here from talking with Paul about the Jets to remind you to head to iTunes where you can find the Pulse of the Fan podcast and hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get all of these downloaded right to your iTunes. Hit that review button. Leave what you think of the podcast. Positive, negative, anything. We're looking to get better. We want to know what you're thinking. And also hit that five-star rating button for us. Uh, That would really make our day here at Pulse of the Fan. Also check out PulseofTheFan.com for all articles, uh, news breaking, podcasts, everything you can think of. Social media graphics when it comes to the NFL. PulseofTheFan.com should be your home with that being said let's jump back into our conversation with paul and keep talking about the jets j-e-t-s you brought up parcells and 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 that's an interesting name for me um obviously he he was the coach head coach of the jets he had a little bit of a personality he had a confidence at the podium uh you think of that that 2008 to 2010 stretch that you've mentioned a few times you had rex ryan who was a a force at the person, a force of personality at the podium. Uh, does Todd Bowles need that? Because he's a little bit more of a reserved guy. You look at the the best stretches of Jets football. They've had you know the Joe Namath's, the Parcells, the guys that can command a room. Do the Jets need someone, whether it comes from the playing field or the coaching staff or the front office, someone to kind of be the the lightning rod? I I don't, I don't think they do. Um, you know, without being in the locker room, I don't know how. When you watch his press conferences, he's really, he's really quiet, and mm-hmm. he's, he's almost sullen. He's almost sad when he goes through it, and he's, he's kind of like, um, I mean, if if someone could be more evasive than Bill Belichick, I, I I'd be shocked. But he's, he seems like he's trying to do that. Like he's trying to be so nondescript in everything he says. 
Um, so I don't think they need it. But what I don't know not being in there is how well that plays with them. You know, how well does that play with, with your team? You know that, that Belichick has developed the gravitas to be able to pull that off every time. You know, does does the team feel that that's good? Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming out even today with uh, with Sheldon Richardson kind of saying that the atmosphere now that Brandon Marshall's gone, who was a lightning rod, mm-hmm. uh, is, is so much better in the locker room. So maybe the team does react to a guy that's quiet and just is all about work. You know, and I think that's what Todd Bowles is. He's a quiet guy that just he's a football guy, and he's all about digging in from the classroom to the practice field. And he's, you know, another big thing for me, just in sports in general, is he's a big process guy. And I, I think when you when you take care of the process, you know, you eventually uh, results follow the, with, with a strong process. And I think that's that's what he's projecting for his team. So Todd Bowles is a reserve guy. He, uh, Brandon Marshall obviously uh, went cross town. Who is the face of the New York Jets? When you think New York Jets, who is the guy you think of right now um, for this year's team? It's, it's going to be Williams. Okay. I think it's going it's to be Leonard Williams. Um, you know, from the hair to the smile to what he puts out in the field and, and coming off a Pro Bowl year, um, he, he's your guy. Uh, you know, will it, could it eventually be? Your, your first round pick in Adams, yeah, I think it could be. And there's a guy, too, on the offensive side that, that could really, really bust out this year, and that's Quincy Inouye. Um, he, he's a worker who seems to be you know, in that mold where he's just proud to be on the football field. And that's starting to you know really resonate with the offense. And, and, and that's the type of thing, too, that – you, you need every great successful team seems to have one or two of those guys mm-hmm. that come out of nowhere and just seem to be, you know, constantly playing at a level above everybody else in their position. And he could be that guy for the Jets. He's our, our diamond in the rough, so to speak. Noon was a, a great talking point here. Brandon Marshall leaves. Someone is going to have to start opposite of, of Eric Decker, assuming Eric Decker gets healthy. Those are big shoes to fill. Anun was obviously going to get the first crack at it. He's going to be dealing with either a, a quarterback who has underwhelmed in the past in McCown or a younger guy. If if he's leading your offense, are are you comfortable with a guy who's a little unproven being that that um uh, the, again the face? I guess that that would be, wouldn't be the face of the Jets. It'd be the face of your offense. Face of the offense, but again, what, what makes me like him so much is he does not project as, you know, I guess that prototypical prima donna big-time receiver. Yeah, he's not a diva. He's not afraid. Go ahead. I said he's, he's not a diva, so he's – He's uh, He's not. Yeah. And, and, he, and he – but I think the non-diva personality for him kind of manifests itself in, in the ability to get across the middle, to make a tough catch in, in traffic, to, you know, to fight for position – when, when when you're when you're setting up your route uh, to be able to get off the line, uh, you know, and and you know you know you've been there. Mm-hmm. Getting off the line is, is something that you have to you got to commit yourself to being part of the play every time, even when you know you're the third you're the third uh, the third route progression. You got to commit yourself to being part of what's going on, and I think he brings that kind of leadership by example 
and, and can be that kind of guy. I think they're still missing the stretch to feel guy to make him feel even even more comfortable in space. But um, I think he's got a shot to really to really turn some heads this year. So so when you're picking someone as your offensive face of the offense, and you're also simultaneously describing him as a diamond in the rough guy, does that make you a little bit weary of going Jamal Adams a safety at pick number six overall, then Marcus May another safety in the second round? Do you think? maybe they should have gone a little bit more flash, a little bit more sizzle on the offensive side when it came to the draft? Um, I, I, I don't think that that was really the direction, and, and I think that that goes again back to your, your quarterback position because I don't think they have the, the, the captain there behind center to put so much, put a lot of focus on outscoring people. I think all you're going to hear from them this year is don't turn the ball over and don't three and out. You know, let the defense get a breather. And, you know, we got a chance to win nine games this year, 16 to 10. Um, and, and I think that's the, that's what you're going to see. So, no, it doesn't really scare me that that's your, your offensive leader is, is a, a, a lunchtail guy or a blue-collar guy and they win all defense in the draft because I think that they, they really feel like um, they're much closer to a top five defense in the league than they are a top five offense. And if you solidify the top five defense, you got time to then fix that offense quickly in the next couple of years. Let, let's talk defense then. Look at their defensive line. Uh, a couple names you've already brought up: Richardson, uh, Wilkerson, Leonard Williams, who I, I agree with you is a complete stud. They're all drafted in the first round in the last six years. What did they have to do to live up to? not only the expectations that, that are set for them, but also the investment that's been made in that defensive line. Are we talking, you know, they have to be a top three against the run unit? Are we talking they have to be a top 10? Three first-round picks kind of standing next to each other on the field have to be uh, difference makers, correct? They do, and, and I think that they are. I think that um, I don't have the, the, the stats mm-hmm. uh, in front of me on a computer or anything, but, I, I mean, I think they've been consistently – um, top 10 against the run in, in the last couple of years, maybe even top five. I'm not totally familiar with it, with, with where they are overall, statistically, just in the category. But they, with, with statistics aside, they certainly feel and project like a top five team against the run. They right. got beat off big play wide last year, which was much discussed. Um, whether it had been, you know, we've just fallen off the shelf quickly or. Um, injuries in the secondary that wasn't strong, but that, that they were on paper and according to the eye test, they were really strong against the run. The challenges I think that the three of them have when you talk about the three of them being top, top first round picks in the last six years, they got to learn to find their place together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a big part of what may have challenged them last year. You've got Sheldon Richardson, who had a little bit of a down year last year, may have been a little binged up, uh, um, little personal issues too. Um, all that was going on. Uh, and on the field, went a little bit from the outside linebacker position and went a little bit three technique and kind of went back and forth because they had so much depth there on the line. And also in the locker room too, you're talking a little bit about is he a big trade piece? You know, can you take him and do something with it? 
And I think now they've, they've given them a vote of confidence where you're in the three, you're there, back to your natural position, you're going to be strong, pin your ears back and let's see you go, Sheldon. And I think that's good. Um, I think uh, Muhammad can adjust and move around a little bit. And, and like you said, Williams, there's nothing wrong with him. He's coming off the Pro Bowl year. He's learning. Uh, they call him a gym rat. He's, 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 he's watching his techniques. He's learning the offensive linemen around the league. Uh, they're strong there, and I, I think they're going to live up to it. So if Williams is the guy of today, let's talk about the guy of yesterday. Uh, you mentioned his, his drop-off in Darrell Revis. Where is his standing in, in Jets lore? Because he's, he's obviously one of the better players, but then he, he you know left and got a Super Bowl somewhere else. Where does he stand in the opinion of Jets fans? Oh, I think the Jets fans are appreciative of his efforts. I think when you watch Jet games um, before he left, he really was. Uh, he was a shutdown in a, in a way that you didn't see anybody shutting people down. Um, you know, Dion was a big play guy. Uh, there, there's been a lot of legendary quarterbacks, but um, Revis had it all when you watched him. And, and the thing that was most underrated was he, he, he tackled. He always tackled. And, and that was the most disappointing thing about last year. Uh, he just seemed to lose that, that drive to go out and hit people. Um, but I think the Jet fan will always be appreciative of him. And I, I, I haven't garnered or, or, or gotten any you know, sniffs of hard feelings um, that he left and he went to the enemy and he pulled one down. You know, that was kind of just the way it went. You know, and that's, and, and that's yeah, that, that was basically it. I, I'm still in this camp. Okay. Um, talking more about a kind of recent Jets history, and this may be a tougher question than that one. How much did the butt fumble set back the Jets as a franchise? Because when I look at your, your when I look at your trajectory uh, before that, you know you have a couple conference championship game appearances. You don't win them, but you're there. You have an identity as a, a defensive squad, a brash coach, a young quarterback. Then the butt fumble happens, and and it seems to spiral from there. Just talk about the timeline and 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 what that did for you. Well. I mean, I think that um, – I think that – I mean, I wish I was there again in, in, inside of the locker room because yeah. as what my friends talk about when, when you watch them, you know, from obviously the periphery is something went on between the Jets and, and, and Sanchez there uh, at the end of the 2009 Conference Championship game. Um and he seemed to like, he seemed to lose a little bit of the, the love of the team, and he seemed to be combative a little bit on the sidelines. And it looked like there was something wrong, and and to the point where they were they played a tough Cincinnati game. Um, I think it might have been in the next year, okay. uh, in 2010, where he just was totally out of it, and and it just looked like that was it that it was gone. The butt fumble became the play that was the end of him, I think more than the, than the Jets' downfall. I think that was the end of him as your guy who can do it. And that's the toughest thing about it because the time was invested in him. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the arm was there. The, you know, what looked for a long time like the leadership was there. And that's, that was the downfall. So I think that more than just the Jets franchise, I think it's really tied back to him and what he did. Um, as our quarterback for, for four years and then 
and then essentially being gone and, and, and nothing's behind it. So Mark Sanchez, obviously not a great taste in, in the fan base's mouth about, about him after hearing your answer there. Has he? Do you think he may, may have scared the franchise off from, from first-round quarterbacks? Since then, you've taken Hackenberg, obviously a second-round pick. Geno Smith, a second-round pick. Uh, are they afraid of, of going big for the big name, trading up, making a, a Chiefs-like move in this last draft where you, you'd go up and get your guy in the top ten? I don't think that they're. I don't think they're afraid. I just. I don't think that they've seen what they, what they were looking for yet. I mean, I really that's, that's that's what I, that's the way I see it. Um, you know, I think what the fan base is afraid of is that when you see Hackenberg, when you see Bryce Petty, it, it's almost like you're looking at, especially Bryce Petty like the next incarnation of Mark Sanchez. Um, and I think that's what really kind of scares you um, more than anything else. And that's, I don't think it's, I don't think they're afraid to go after a big quarterback early in the draft. I just don't think they, they felt like we've, we've got the guy yet that, that, um, that makes it worthwhile to, to get up there and get him. We started off this, this podcast, you were mentioning how, Jets fans wait for something to happen. They they know something's going to happen. They what was know it, it's going to happen. What was it about Sanchez that let you guys kind of put your guard down and, and and embrace him only to then have it happen like it did? What was it that let us put our guard down to kind of trust him a little bit? Yeah, because you were saying that the city was behind him, that the city was you know was embracing yeah, him until um, something happened at the end of two thousand nine. Was I think it was that he 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 seemed to be he seemed to have the, the toughness to make big throws when you needed it, mm-hmm. and he seemed to not be scared of it. And he he kind of he kind of came into the city where it wasn't the likes that got him. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the the attention that got him. It wasn't GQ spreads. It wasn't um um you know it, it wasn't anything off the field that kind of threw him you know, away from his football focus. And I think that the, the, the city kind of liked that. I know Jets fan kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. And he had the ability to kind of rally them in big spots. And, and, and that was where, you know, we hadn't seen that almost ever. Yeah. You know, in least in, 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 in a long – Ted Severi really didn't even um, – during the, the 98, 99 era there where it went on, or 97, 98 era – when he was kind of the guy and, and bringing us to a conference championship game, he never even really displayed that. He just displayed that he could go out there and he had the chance to throw up 4,000 yards a year. Um, it wasn't – he had that kind of arm, which was new to a Jets fan. But he didn't even have that kind of gravitas like Sanchez did where you can put me down in a big spot in the fourth quarter and I'll go out there and I'll, I'll make a run at it because you know, I'm not scared of it. And I think that's what he had. And I think something changed, you know – after after that season, he just—I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the injury mm-hmm. that um, Rex gets blamed for that last preseason game. Um, you know that was that was rough. So maybe the injury—he never had confidence in his arm again. Who knows? But yeah, but we we did believe in him. I'll tell you that much. So so your answer right there tells me that being a New York big market quarterback, big market star presents kind of their own challenges, the lights, the GQ spreads. Some guys can't take that. Sanchez struck you as someone that could. 
a lot of times those things are seen as positives. When you're when you're New York City and you're Broadway and you're an attractive destination for free agents, don't you think the Jets should be uh, maybe signing some more big name free agents, using that to their advantage? Um, you you would I would think that yeah you would think that there's there's economic factors too. Okay. Um, when you know the, the state of free agency right now, the, the cost uh, of living. You know, the cost of living, the tax implications, you know, uh, that, that's kind of, that, that does sway to some contracts every now and then. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, there's, there's matrices out there that'll show you what, you know, uh, what, you know, 30 million is worth in New York compared to what it's worth in Chicago or in, uh, you know, in, in Florida, for, for example, Florida being a big one. And I think you've seen a lot of big names free agents go down to Miami with the state income tax thing uh, that happens. Um, you know, so you does, think that, so, does that make the draft even more important for your specific team, knowing I that? Do. I really think you got to build for the draft, and I think you got to build, build through the draft. And, and you know, I, I think that that's something that the organization, you, you can't have a lot of pride in because they, they up until – the solid defensive tape for the last few years, they haven't really had a lot of um, overwhelming draft success. Mm-hmm. You know, a run of mediocre tight ends, um, a run of, you know, under underperforming running backs. Uh, yeah, we had, we did hit the, hit the jackpot, and, and it, it's not glamorous at all, but we haven't talked at all about the fact that when you look at the mid 2000 Jets until um, you know the 2015 2016 Jets, you had tankers in in Brick and 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 Nick mm-hmm. who were uh, you know they were built for the draft. And for for all you talk about you know what quarterback can do this, what big game receiver can do that, there's probably only about five or six offensive lines in the league. That have the ability to get you Super Bowl. That, um, that is a great point, opinion. and it's actually a question in I have here. DeBrickshaw Ferguson. And they had that. This is a, this is a, a good good segue here. DeBrickshaw Ferguson's gone. Nick Mangold's gone. Uh, the Thomas Jones are gone. The Ladanian Tomlinsons are gone. The Sean Greens are gone. What is the state of the running game in the Jets right now? After having, like you said, a decade of of anchors leading the way. Well, I mean, I think that's what you. You, you don't know yet because of, of the, the newness of their of their unit on the offensive line. I mean, and we're a day into OTAs, so these guys are getting their footwork down. They're learning how to they're learning how to play off of each other. Um, they're learning where they want you know where they want their hands to be in certain teams. They're learning all that different stuff now. Um, so we got to see that develop a little bit. There are some names there that are pretty good, um, but I can tell you when you're talking about. If, if you want to call 2007 through 2010 or so, 11 or so, uh, our most recent blossoming period, mm-hmm. you had, you know, not only, um, not only did you have uh, a brick and mangled homegrown potential Hall of Famers, but you had an Alan Fanica on there, you had a Woodley on there for a little bit. Um, you had some. Uh, uh, I think it were, I think Rich Samini was on there for. You had some big time offensive linemen that did the job. There were no holes in the line, and I think that's a. 
it might have been Florida White Sanchez was able to, to, to pull some things off too. Very true. So they kind of kept them upright. Yeah, very true. It's it's very easy to be combat there when, you, when you have the, the the big guys up front. I agree with you. Yep. So uh, we're we're nearing the end here. There, there's two more questions I have for you. The first of all is, and we breezed through this earlier. Uh, give us maybe a, a fan's prediction and an explanation on on what you think the Jets will do this year. Uh, you, you don't have to throw out a win total. You can, but how do you think this season's going to play out? I, I, I'm already, I'm already seeing, you know, eight in my head. Okay. You know, I, I just see eight and eight right now. Um, I, how do you I feel about that? I, I mean, I, I think that's going to be driven by two things. They're going to do a better job of eliminating big plays defensively, and I think if, if you can, if you can keep you know, a, a back-breaking, you know, big play out of um, all but maybe one drive throughout a 60-minute football game, you know, you, uh, you're you going to have a chance to be competitive. And I think when you, when you match that with the fact that they are um, decently talented defensively, I think they'll stay in a lot of games. And I think you'll see a progression offense and they'll be competitive offensively um, because you got a lot of, you got a lot of vigor out of John Morton. He's the he's the guy who's going to will them as an offensive coordinator, almost the way a defensive coordinator would. He's going to will them to play well. Um, and I think that you also have this dynamic where there's a lot of offensive weapons right now that are trying to find their place. They're trying to find where they sit on this roster, and I think that'll breed some internal competition, which will be good for them. Um, so, but does that get you past? Average at eight games, I don't think so, and that's that's just the way it keeps resonating with me. Is that there's enough there to win games. There's not enough there to win a division. There's not enough there. I don't think to make the playoffs. Okay, the last thing we like to do here, and we're nearing the end of the show, is we give you one last opportunity to prove that you are a super fan. I don't think there's any doubt that you are after after talking with you over the last forty whatever minutes. But uh, but we give you a trivia question. To, to let you kind of hammer it home, are you down to give it a go? Let's give it a shot. All right, and and this is kind of a two-parter. It's it's a question. I would with, with, be no man. It, it's a question <laughs> with a, with a bonus question here. So, all right, here we go. Okay. Who was the Jets' coach the last time they won the division? And the bonus the bonus question is who was the quarterback? The Jets coached the last time they won the division. Um. When you're in division with the Patriots, you have to go back kind of far to yeah. find out when you won the division. So I thought it was a good little trivia question. What's that again? I said when you're in a division with the Patriots, you have to go back kind of far to find out when you won it. So I thought it would be a good good little trivia question. Yeah, they, they won the division outright, didn't they, with Chad Pennington and Herm Edwards as the coach? Nailed them both. 2002, Herm Edwards and Chad Pennington. Gosh, I hate when you guys get it right. Yeah, and and they actually um they I'm pretty sure they crushed the Colts the first round of the playoffs that year, um and then and struggled I think it was against Pittsburgh in the second round, um yeah I mean that's that might have been that might have been um Roethlisberger's rookie year. When he had an awful game, and they, is that far enough back to be Roethlisberger's year? It would be. Or, 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 I think it was actually one year before Roethlisberger, so it might have been like the the Tommy Maddox okay. Okay. random off yep. year. But uh, 
but hey, hey you, you you nailed it you you, you kept going and, and hey, you're impressive you you're, you're a super fan uh if the jets break some news in the future do you mind if we give you a call to uh to get your opinions on it i'm here absolutely Perfect. all right thanks paul and uh, uh thanks for coming on that's fine team good luck